Amen. The same God that parted the waters. The same God that met with Moses. The same God who made a way in every story of Scripture is the same God we meet with here today. It's the same God who is here with us today. Amen? Amen. His presence is here. His word is going to be spoken and preached, and we're going to hear with faith. Amen? Amen. So, in the New Testament, there was a group of guys who were preaching. They were preaching about God. They were preaching God's law. But the effect it had on people was that it became a burden to the people. They were making the commandments into something heavy to carry. They put out judgment. They put out condemnation. They put out a legalistic way of living. And so that the people who heard after they heard were weighed down. And they walked away heavy burdened. Jesus stayed in constant conflict with these guys. It's the Pharisees. Jesus even said of them on one occasion, he said that they bind heavy burdens, hard to carry burdens, and they lay them on men's shoulders. And Jesus would say, I have come that you may have life. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There are people today who still walk in this life. They attend churches, but yet they walk around as though they are carrying the weight of the world. And they carry on their shoulders not a cross that leads to freedom, but the weight and the heaviness of guilt and shame. And Jesus says, come to me. I will give you rest from all of those. Now, some people hear this message of grace and they confuse it. They hear this message of rest and they confuse it with inactivity and laziness and they miss the entire point of, of God's peace and rest in our lives. In, in the same passage where Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The very next words out of Jesus' mouth are, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's what he said. Come, I'll give you rest. Now take my yoke. We got work to do. That's what happens, really. And, and even in the book of Isaiah, the Bible says, those who wait upon the Lord, those, in other words, who rest in the Lord, those who find their peace in the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and they'll not faint. When you are truly experiencing the rest in your soul that God has for you, it will not produce in you laziness or inactivity. Instead, it will unlock in you a passion greater than you've ever had before. You'll serve longer, walk further, run faster than you ever have and faster than anybody else because you will have unlocked a place deep within where there is rest and peace, but it also unlocks a passion like you've never had before. 
I've got to tell somebody. I've got to do something. I've got to show somebody. I've got to serve somebody. I've got to sacrifice. I've got to rearrange my life. I've got to put it all in order. I've got to put Christ first. I've got to lay aside some stuff. I've got to set aside some sins. I've got to change my patterns. I've got to pursue Christ. That's what happens when you truly rest in the Lord. Amen? Amen. We're coming up on the end of our series called Beach Faith. And what it means to truly rest in the Lord. And I don't mean just become lazy, but I'm talking about unlocking a passion like you've never had before. And we've used scriptures each week, stories from the Bible to help illustrate this. So today, we're going back to the Old Testament. We're in Exodus chapter 14. If you want to turn your Bibles there, if you've got your Bible app, you can follow along. Exodus 14 is where we are, setting the stage for you here. The people of God have been in Egypt They've been slaves for a long time. And I don't mean 200 people. I don't mean 2,000 people. It was millions of people in Egypt, God's people. And they are there as slaves. They are the slave culture. When something needs to be done, they are the ones called upon. They don't get to own much. They don't get to do much except what they're required to do, what they're forced to do. And it's not easy. It's difficult. It's hard. And it hurts. It's painful. And some lose their lives. Some lose children. Some lose all their possessions and their slaves. And they cry out to God over time and say, God, deliver us. And God is faithful. And he provided a deliverer in the man Moses. He prepares him and he sends him in. And he goes in and he challenges Pharaoh. And God performs miracles, astounding miracles. And he leads his people out to no longer be slaves, to no longer be the culture, the people who are beaten down. They are the ones who now are going to be set free. And in mass, they all just start walking and they leave Egypt. Can you imagine that day? A day of salvation, really, that's what it was. They were, they were saved from their bondage. They were saved from this life of just living in sin in Egypt. Among all the other gods, among all the other forces and beings and worship of these false idols, all of that that was going on, they march out and they leave Egypt. And they're set free. They are. And there's a promise that God has for them. He says, I have a land for you, a land flowing with milk and honey, and that's where we're going. I've given you a rescuer, a savior in the life of Moses here. I've given you my my presence. It says in the Bible that he gave them a pillar of fire at night that led them. So there wasn't any mistaking of where they were to go, of what God's direction was from. They saw this fire, and they just followed it. And in the day, it was a cloud, and they followed it. They knew exactly where they were supposed to go. God provided everything that they needed, a place to go, a man to free them. And the Scripture picks up in verse 1 of chapter 14 with their journey. Let's look in on them and see how they're doing in their journey. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've had a similar experience. You've walked out of your Egypt. You've walked out of the one who ruled over you, the cruel taskmaster. You've walked out of a life of bondage, and you're headed on a journey. You've been given a promised land, and you're on your way to experiencing all of it. Amen? So we can all identify with what's going to happen here in the story. Exodus chapter 14, verse 1, here's what it says. 
Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Piah-Kiroth, between Migdol and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. Now, if you are by the sea, where are you? Man, very nice. It only took us six weeks into the series to figure that out, right? No, yeah, they're at a beach. God leads them in their journey away from, I've been using this sign as Egypt, away from Egypt to where they're headed, and he calls them to a very specific place where they are to go. Now, please, you've got to understand, this is not like you taking your family to the beach. This is not like four of you, seven of you, ten of you all going down, hey, everybody, come on down to the beach. No, this is millions of people. And Moses is communicating to them, and he can't text them all, right? He, he can't just put out a Facebook message to everybody and say, meet up at the beach. But he gives them a very specific place, this Piakiroth. Are you just wanting to say that because it's not what you thought it was going to be on screen, right? It looks like it'd be something different. You want to just say that with me? Piakiroth. Here we go. Piakiroth. Yeah, it's kind of weird, but that's kind of the Hebrew pronunciation of the word. It, it's a... It's a word that means, or a place that means, the mouth of waters or the mouth of freedom. God was leading them to a place of freedom. He gets them to the beach, right? But it also says they're going by Migdol. In fact, they're supposed to camp between this mouth of freedom and Migdol. Migdol was a tower, it was a place that overlooked the beach. So they're to camp between this tower from which you can see far away. You can see beyond the sea. They're to camp between that and the mouth of freedom. But it says opposite Baal Zephon. Now, if you kind of backed up in the story and you saw how God challenged all the false gods that were in Egypt, he challenged every one of them except for one, this one. And for some reason, God curiously leaves this one unchallenged until this story. And in this story, Baal Zephon is where they are opposite. They are away from it, but they are in sight of it. Baal, false god, Zephon is the god of storm. God of storm. And those who worship the false gods worship him so that there might not be storms. And if there were storms, it was from Baal Zephon. So this is where they are encamped. They're here at a beach. It says in verse 3, it says, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the children of Israel all leave, the whole slave culture, millions leave, and Pharaoh, Pharaoh's not happy about it. I mean, he's so unhappy about it that he begins a pursuit of them. He's angered by the fact that they have left, angered by the fact that he's been embarrassed by Moses. But who causes Pharaoh to pursue them? The Lord. It says God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. 
Oh, God has a plan. You see, he's going to bring you to a beach. He's going to bring you to several beaches in your life. Oh, but that's just the beginning. I'm going to tell you about why he does some of that here today. But in this case, it is God who's providing an enemy. God who is applying some pressure. And Pharaoh and his armies are going to be pursuing even though Israel goes out with boldness. Here it goes on in the passage, and it says this next. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea. A little time has passed. They've pursued them. The people of God have camped at the sea, and all of a sudden, here's Pharaoh and company. And he's not bringing just a few horses either. He's bringing his armies. And they've come. And where does he find them? At the beach. Oh, now we're starting to see something here. First big point of the day is this. God leads us to places of greater beach faith to prepare us for greater, greater battle faith. See, God's going to bring you to some places of beach faith in your life where you're going to rest in him. Some stuff that before you were stressed about, but now he's given you rest about. Amen? You were all stressed about your past sins and your guilt and your shame, and he gives you rest in it, right? You've been stressed about whether or not God is present in your life, and he gives you some promises in his word, and you rest in it. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you clear today. When God brings you to places of rest at a beach, faith, he's only getting you ready for some battles, faith. Rest so that you can battle. Peace, so that it ignites my passion. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Rest always leads to work. Beach always leads to battle. It's the way it works in Scripture. With me still? So God is going to lead you to some places where he's going to prepare you for your next greatest challenge. And you're only going to be able to face it if you come at it with a place of rest so that you can be equipped, so that you can be ready. And there's great confidence in that. There's great security in that. There's great passion in that. There's great passion to fight when you know that the Lord is on your side. Let's go on in the passage. It says that when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. Look at it again. So they were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. They'd just been delivered. They'd been set free. God had provided for them a leader, direction, provision, all of that. And all of a sudden they see Pharaoh coming after them and they ever panicked before? I've had panic issues before. I know what it's like just to be sitting in a restaurant and everything's calm and all of a sudden your heart starts racing. All of a sudden your mind starts racing. All of a sudden you feel this urge to have to get up and run out of the place before you've paid the bill. It was horrible horrible experience to feel panic inside. I know what that's like. And the children of Israel are facing it on a grand scale. They panic. Point number two. 
in the place that they should have had rest instead. They panicked. They should have recognized, God's provided for me. God's taken care of me. God's given me direction. He's given me provision. He is with me. I've seen him do it so many times. And they should have had faith that he would do it again. But it says that they had great fear all of a sudden. Oh, you see, God was about to lead them into something new. He was going to take them into a place they'd never been before. He was going to take them into some deeper waters. Let's go on in the passage. Look what it says. Then they said to Moses, this is what you do when you panic. Look at it. Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Do you hear that? Moses, why did you free us? That's what they're saying. Why did you take us out of Egypt? We were slaves there. Why did you take us out? You see what happens when fear takes over? You don't think right anymore. You think it would be better to go back to your Egypt, to your bondage, to your past, to your sin, to your struggles, to that cruel taskmaster. Verse 12, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Isn't that crazy? They're saying, in effect, Moses, why did you do this? We told you this was going to happen. Why did you take us out? It's all your fault, Moses. Really? For it would have been better. Watch how crazy this is. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. You see what happens when panic takes over? When fear takes over? When you don't exercise your beach faith? They were in the place where they should have been at absolute rest and confidence. Ah, not worried. God took care of me before. He'll take care of me again. That's what they should have said, should have done. I want to show you from this passage some things that happen whenever we let panic take over and we lack beach faith. The first one is this. We end up being driven by fear. The passage said they were very afraid. In other words, they were like boiling over red-hot fear. That's all they could see was an enemy coming and a barrier before them. They felt trapped all of a sudden. There was no way back because Pharaoh's coming. There's no way forward. We're at a sea. Oh, but they were forgetting. We're at the mouth of freedom. And there's Migdal, the tower. This is exactly where God told us to be. And if God told me to be here, he's going to help me to get there. That's what should have happened. That's what they should have done. But when you let fear take over, you'll make bad decisions. You'll make bad financial decisions. You'll make bad relationship decisions. If you haven't married yet, you'll end up choosing the wrong person because you're driven by fear. Hello. If you're desperate, you'll do, if you're not careful, the wrong thing because you're driven by fear. The second thing that happened, we saw in the passage, is that they cried out to God, but they didn't listen to God. That's what happens when fear takes over. They cried out to the Lord but he'd already spoken. They cried out to the Lord, but they didn't listen. 
When you're not exercising your beach faith, you'll cry out all day long. God, when are you going to deliver me? God, deliver me. This is a terrible situation. God, God, help me. God, help me. Please do something. God, God, will you do something for me? God, when are you going to answer my prayer? God, when are you going to do something for me? I'm sure God's saying, the minute you be quiet, that's when I'll answer you. You talking so much and crying so much, you can't even hear me. That's what happens when you don't exercise your beach faith. That's what happens when you don't rest in the Lord. You talk way more than listen. Number three, this is also what happens. You end up complaining about your situation. That's just what comes out of your mouth. Promises don't come out of your mouth. Complaining comes out of your mouth. Purpose doesn't come out of your mouth. Complaining comes out of your mouth. Gratefulness doesn't come out of your mouth. Complaining comes out of your mouth. And you just complain, complain. Why do we have to be in this situation? Now ah, I don't like this. Moses, you're the one that did this to us. This would have been better if we would have just stayed there. On and on, just complaining and complaining. You can know, hello, watch this. If you're filled with complaint, you're not resting in the Lord. I'm talking to myself here this morning. Please don't think I have nailed every one of these principles up here, okay? I- I'm with you. We're all together in this thing. Number four, you end up blaming and attacking others. Oh, they were just putting it all on Moses. Moses, you're the one that led us out of here. If you would have done this, we wouldn't be in this situation. You know, there's something that just kind of feels good about blaming somebody else. You know, you've got a little bit of weight of responsibility on yourself. This is usually what happens. You get in a situation, and you're the one that chose it. Moses didn't get behind them and kick them all the way out of Egypt. He led them out, and they all all followed. Woo-hoo! said they went out with boldness, right? That's what it said. And now they get out there, and all they can do is blame and attack. Moses, this is your fault. Moses, you did this to us. You see, when you can blame somebody else, then you can shift the responsibility off of yourself. They should have taken the responsibility for God. We're having a lack of faith right now. It's on us. Instead, shift it all, point it at Moses, it's all your fault. That's what happens when you don't have beach, faith, and rest. Number five, you justify yourself. God tries to speak to you. Others try to come speak truth to you, and all you do is justify yourself. What they said was, we told you this was going to happen. We told you we shouldn't have left Egypt. We told you it was the wrong thing to do. We told you it was a bad idea. Isn't that funny how that's what we like to do when a situation kind of unfolds and it's not like we thought it was going to be, and we say, oh, I told you this was going to happen. It just kind of like also removes you like, I'm cool and you're bad, you know? I knew everything and you didn't. I was the wise one and you're the foolish one. That's what happens when you, you know, blame, when you justify yourself. You're setting yourself up as the one who knows it all. Number six, you stop seeing future promises. They had the presence and promise of God. He was going to deliver them. But all they could see in the moment were the problems. And then the last thing that happens when you don't have, or you're not exercising your beach faith, is you want to go backwards. They were more interested and going back to Egypt. They were more interested in going back to their bondage. They were more interested in going back to where they had been than seeing where God was going to take them next. Instead of having faith to move forward, they were cratering and said, I guess we should just go back to sin and slavery and 
miserable lives. That would be better than that. God's direction and promise for us. Do you see what happens when you're not exercising your beach faith? Some people get to a point where they say, you know what, I've tried this church thing. I've tried praying. I've tried reading the Bible. I've tried living righteously. And look where it's got me. I'm in a stuck place right now. I'm in a difficult place right now. I don't know where the answers are coming from. I don't know what's going to happen next. And in that moment, instead of someone someone trusting that God's going to deliver them, they say, I think I'll just go back to that other woman. I think I'll just go back to that other man. I think I'll just go back to that addiction. I think I'll just go back to my sin. I think I'll just go back to that resentment and anger I had. They'd rather go backwards than forward into all that God has for them. The story continues in the passage in verse 13, and it says this, that Moses said to the people, can you imagine this speech? Can you imagine? I mean, they're all complaining. I don't know how they all got it to him. I don't know if they brought up some representatives. I don't know if they all were shouting it at once. I don't know what happened, but this is the moment where Moses says, all right, enough. That's it. My turn to talk. And it says, that Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Moses says, I've had enough. You're wanting to run. You're wanting to complain. You're all busy. You're working on your plans, you're scheming, all this stuff. And all I have to say to you today is just stop and be still. And you watch. God's going to work. He was reminding them, God brought us to this beach. We're going to stand here and we're going to trust him. We're going to rest in him. Amen? Yeah, you don't sound very convinced yet. See... Beach faith is this. Beach faith surrenders and rests in God's power to defend, protect, and provide. You might as well just quit your stress, quit your worry, quit your panic, quit all your scheming and trying to figure it all out, and rest. God will provide now it's still not the end of the story at this point in the story it gets very very interesting because up to this point it's been about God speaking to the people right this story is about to shift the story perspective is about to all change the camera is going to take a different angle from instead of zooming out on the group it's going to zoom in and we're going to have a conversation, a discussion with Moses for just a moment here. Look what happens next. Oh, I love this. Watch. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Now, you're probably looking at your Bible and looking at me and looking at the screen like, did we miss some verses or something? 
He just told them to all stand still. Moses is confident. And then all of a sudden, here's this verse where God speaks to Moses and says, Why do you cry to me? Yet there's nowhere in the conversation, nowhere in the text, that the Bible says, And Moses cried out to the Lord. It doesn't say it. It's not there. Now, Moses is the one writing all of this. He might have just chosen to just edit this part out. You know, he might have triple clicked on that paragraph right there and hit delete. We don't know what was said, but I can imagine, and you can too. Can you imagine this moment? Millions are looking at you. They're all complaining. They're saying, this is not going to work, Moses. We told you this wasn't going to work. You have a sea in front of you. You've got Pharaoh's army coming after you, and you're here in this spot, and you think you heard God tell you to be in this spot, but now you don't know what to do because it looks like there's no way out. And in that moment, if I was Moses, I'd be saying, God, where are you? You told me to tell them to come here, and here we are. And it looks like there's no future out there. I don't know what's going to happen. And he's just laying it out before the Lord, apparently. This is all we have. Why do you cry to me? I'm sure Moses was dealing with some personal stuff inside, too. God, I told them this is what you wanted me to, to tell them. This is the place, right, God? How come nothing's happened? I don't see anything happening. Migdol, mouth of freedom, what, what is this, God? What are you doing? You ever had those moments in your life where you feel like you've gotten to a certain point that he told you to get to, and you got there, and the situation is more difficult than you ever imagined? It didn't turn out like you thought it was going to turn out. In fact, now there's more pressure, now there's more pain, now there's more fear than you've ever had before. This is where they are. This is where Moses is, and he's crying out to God. I love what happens next. Look at it. Tell the children of Israel. Now, I want to pause before we get there. If you're looking in your Bible, don't. Don't look. I know you want to look. Don't look. Some of you are looking. God says, okay, Moses, look here. I did bring you here. I gave you this very specific place for you to be. Yes, Moses, it's a beach. Yes, I'm going to provide for you. Yes, Pharaoh's pursuing you. Yeah, I know you're crying out to me because you can't see the answer, and you're ready for it to happen now. I get it. Moses, I've got something for you. I've got something for you because you cried out to me. I've got something for you that they need to hear. I've got something for you that you need to hear, Moses. I've got something for you that is the next step, Moses. And here is what I want you to tell them, Moses. Here it is. I want you to tell them to go forward. We've rested on the beach, and now it's time to move on. And forward means to the water. Huh? Can you imagine if you're Moses in this moment? And God says to you, all right, we've rested. We've done our thing. I called you here. I brought you to a place to rest. Rest in me. Now I got something we got to do. Moses, we got work to do. Moses, I got a purpose. Moses, stay with me here. I want you to tell the people. I want you to tell them strong. It's time to move forward. God never calls us to places in our life to just sit and do 
nothing. He brings us to places of rest in our soul so that we might move forward into places we've never been before. It's true. And what's so tempting is to get into the situation and see this impossibility out there and think, I guess I missed it. I guess I heard you wrong, God. I guess the enemy's got more on me than I've got on him. I guess there's no way I can do this. And so most people, instead of having a rest in their soul that drives them in passion, they get panicky inside and they rest outwardly instead. And they stop moving. They stop seeking the Lord. They stop praying. They stop going to church. They stop being involved. They stop serving. They stop seeking him. They're resting outwardly and panicked inwardly. And God says, I've got just the opposite for you. I got rest for you here. So it unlock a passion for you to move on. Tell them it's time to go forward. Moses, it's time to leave the past. Moses, it's time to leave the fear. Moses, it's time to leave you trying to figure it all out. It's time to leave where we've been. It's time to leave your sins. It's time to get out of the sand and head out into the water. That's what God calls us to. He brings us to a beach, not to just camp out for the rest of our lives, but to move us out into the water. Amen? Now, here's what happens. I'll make a point, and then we're going to move on in the story. I'd say to you today, what you think in your life is a wall is actually the way of miraculous of the miraculous when you surrender and obey God you see they came to a place where they thought sea red sea was a wall you probably at some places in your life today where you think it's a wall it looks like you can't move forward it looks like there's no provision it looks like there's no way out and you think of it as a wall but I'm gonna tell you God brought them to this wall amen did and when you surrender in that moment what you think is the wall will actually become something miraculous when you're willing to go forward in it when you're willing to step out in it here's what happens next in the passage it says Moses here's what I want you to do lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Moses, I know you've never done this before, but I'll bring you to places that you think are impossible so you'll do things that you've never done before, according to my word. And so God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to take the rod. Now, Moses knew exactly what he was talking about. If, you're, if you read Scripture in the Old Testament, you follow Moses' life, you'll know exactly what he's talking about. You see, there was an occasion where God met Moses and he carried a rod, a rod that he used for getting around, a rod that he used with sheep, a rod that he used for protection. It was his livelihood. It was who he was. And God said to Moses on occasion, Moses, I want you to throw that rod down. And he did. 
He threw it down, and the rod became what? A serpent or a snake. It did. And then God spoke to him again and said, Moses, pick it up. And when he did, the snake turned into the rod again. The rod became what God used in Moses' life. Whenever there was a direction to go, whenever there was something miraculous to happen, when he was battling the false gods in Egypt, it was through this rod. The rod represented the presence and person of God himself to Moses. This was everything to him. This was the power of God. This was his provision. Did you know that this rod, if you follow it, is a beautiful picture of Jesus himself. Because Moses threw the rod down and it became a snake. The Bible says in the New Testament that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. And then we're told to pick up that righteousness and it becomes ours. It becomes our our presence of God in our life it becomes his purpose, it becomes his passion, it becomes his presence. He's with me. He's for me. And so what happens in this moment is Moses is about to take the very representation of God, the very picture of Jesus. And what does God say to him to do? Moses, pick up the rod and lift it up. Stretch it out. Stretch out your hand, Moses, and stretch it out over the sea. That's what it says. And when you do, it will divide. It will part. There will be a way made when you didn't think there was a way. Something miraculous will happen when you lift up this rod. Oh, the Bible's clear. That when you lift up Jesus over your life, he will make a way for you. The Bible says when he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. When you lift up Christ over every part of your life, he will make a way when you think there is no way. Hello, is that speaking to anybody this morning? Is this, is this touching anybody where they're struggling today? It was interesting that it says he had to lift it up over the sea. He had to lift it up over himself for all to see, but he also had to lift it up over his future, over what seemed to be impossibility, over what seemed to be a wall. God says, lift up the rod. So here's our, here's our point I want to make to this. I think scripture says to us, God will make a way for those I got a typo in my sentence there, just realize. God will make a way for those who face his promises, lift up Jesus, and move forward. Those who will lift him up over their life. When you lift him up, he will lead you out. Are y'all with me this morning? Let, let me try to make some application here today. So, for example, Let's take some finances. Everybody in here has some finances. Everybody in here has got some financial issues from time to time. God wants to be your provider, not your employer. He'll use your employer to provide for you, but God's the provider. And you get to a place sometimes where you struggle in your finances. 
You get to a place sometimes where you get your finances just all out of whack. You find yourself owing more than you got coming in. You find yourself spending more than you've got. You find yourself with more stuff than you really don't even need. If you will lift up the cross over even your finances and say, Jesus, I put you first over and above all things my finances. I will give to you. That means starting at a 10% place. Oh, we're going to talk about this one day here. 10% a tithe is really an Old Testament concept. And when it comes to the New Testament, you won't find 10 anywhere. You'll find that it all belongs to the Lord. And 10 is just a guideline, a good place to start. And so if you're living your life today and you're not lifting up Christ over your finances, you're not putting him first, you're not honoring him with the first fruit of all your possessions, and you're, you're making all these choices, you're buying stuff that don't align with what he says is true, you're spending money on stuff that's not in line with what he says is right, you've got all a bunch of stuff and, and it's not honoring God anyway, do not... Do not expect God to bless you and part the waters in your finances if you're not lifting up Christ over it. But the day you do, the day you choose to, lift him up first over all your money, over all your possessions, then get ready because he's going to make a way when you thought there was no way. I I could tell you stories of people that are here. I could tell you stories about me and Heather. Being overwhelmed with credit card debt to the point of not knowing how we're ever going to do this. And it's one of those things that you don't want to say to anybody because it's kind of embarrassing. You just kind of act like everybody else acts like, I got this under control. And we didn't. And we finally said, we got to talk to somebody. And we did. And we made a conscious decision to honor the Lord when it was difficult, change our priorities. And I'm going to tell you, in less than two years, we had zero debt to cards. God set us free. It's okay to clap about that. It really does happen in people's lives. I know there's other people here in the room that that's happened to. When you choose to put Christ first over, when you will lift him up over your sea issue, whatever it is, you want to you see him make a way in your marriage? Then you got to lift him up over everything. you got to say, it's not about me. It's about you, Jesus. It's not about my way, my preferences, my wants. It's about you, Jesus, and what you say I'm to do. And when you will lift up your marriage or lift up the cross over your marriage, He will make a way when there seems to be no way. When you will choose to honor him, pray together as a couple. Seek him together as a couple. Get involved in ministry together as a couple. Seek to align your life according to God's word as a couple. I'm telling you, God will make a way when you think there's no way. So finances, marriage, job, whatever it is, your life in general. Maybe you're at a place today and you say, I feel like I'm still in Egypt. I feel like I'm in bondage. 
I don't see any hope. I don't see any light. I don't see any way out. Then it's time to come to Christ and lift him up over what you have going on, to put him first in your life, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's what you do. You put him first. And if you're not willing to do that, I can't promise you that he's going to make a way for you. I can't promise that the waters are going to part. I can't promise that there's going to be dry land for you. Now, you see, it's my responsibility as a pastor to communicate God's truth. It's also my responsibility, along with our elders, to know the direction that God has for our church. And it's something I'm passionate about before the Lord. God, show me. Show me your direction. That's what we, when we get together as the elders in our church, that's part of what we're doing. I don't know all the details out there yet, but I'll tell you this. There are big things that God wants to do in and through our church to make a difference, not just in Ovilla, but so much further. But I'll tell you this. We can't all cross that sea until we've individually crossed that sea. Every one of us coming to a place where we say, you know what? I've been involved in stuff I got no business being involved in. I've been places I got no business being. And God, it's time. It's time for me to quit the complaining, the blaming. The bitterness, the resentment, and even trying to go backwards. Today, I go forward. I don't stand still anymore. I take the step out. I take a step to make a difference. I take a step to change some things. My finances are not going to be like they were anymore. My marriage is not going to be like it was anymore. My own perspective on life is not going to be like that anymore. Today, today, it's time to face the sea and walk forward. It's time to move. It's time to step out. We know from the rest of the story that that's exactly what happens. Moses steps out. He lifts up his rod. And the Bible says that the winds blew, and they blew all night so that the next morning, wow, there was a way. There was a path, and they went through on dry land where they thought there was no way there was a way all of a sudden. Rest always leads us to the place of a battle. Would you bow your heads with me today? I know that God is speaking here in this room today. I know his word is faithful, and I know that he promises if we'll lift him up, he'll draw all men to himself. So today, if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is your time. He is speaking to you. He's calling you. You sense it. You, you, you sense the frustration in where you've been, and now you sense this calling in, in your heart. You sense it. God's calling you. And here's how you respond to that if that's you. You say, Lord, I confess I am a sinner. I have blown it. I've tried to live this life on my own, and it's not working for me, God. I'm miserable. And today, I want to be a follower of Jesus if you're praying that prayer in your heart right now, if you're saying to God, God, I confess my sins. 
I call out to you to rescue me. Then the Bible says if you prayed that prayer, if you believed in your heart and confessed with your mouth, then you will be saved. You've experienced salvation today. God will deliver you. Now, it might be that some of you say, well, I've taken that step, but I've never made the public step. I've never told someone. I've never said I want to be baptized. I haven't even been baptized. So today, this may be your day. You come today and let let us know, I want to be baptized. Because in two weeks, we're baptizing right here. It might be today that God's calling you and he's challenging you, saying, this is the church you're called to be a part of. This is where you need to plant. This is where you need to bring your family. It might be that there's some other area in your life where he's calling you to obedience and you've resisted him, you've put him off, you've just been sitting still, you've been complaining, and it's time to surrender. It's time to take the step. It's time to move forward. It's time to move on. Would you stay with me this morning? We're going to pray, and when I finish praying, if God's speaking to you, this is your time to move. Come see one of our counselors up here and make it clear, make it public today. Let's pray together.